This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Brina Garen, and you're listening to a special Halloween bonus episode of Hex Positive. Welcome, witches. We're just a few days away from Halloween, and it is time for some ghost stories. But these aren't just any ghost stories. These are ghost stories from witches. Oh, yes. Stories from all you witchy darlings out there in the world who so graciously tune in every month. I love you all. I put out the call a couple of months ago, and I have some really great creepy stuff to share with you today. The response was quite incredible. So big, big thanks ahead of time to everyone who sent in their spooky tales. I've really enjoyed reading them, and I am so excited to share them in this episode. A quick reminder, we're coming to the end of the Hex Positive Halloween giveaway, so make sure you rate and review and send in those screenshots for a chance to win your very own Starter Witch Kit. I'm really looking forward to the drawing, which you'll recall will take place on Halloween night. Make sure you're following at Hex underscore podcast on Twitter so you don't miss it. Thanks so much to everybody that's participated so far. All right, we've got a lot of stories to get to, so I'm going to dive right in. First, we have a story sent in by Van. Real quick note, I love the podcast. Excellent job. Looking forward to more episodes. Oh, thank you so much, Van. I appreciate the support. So, our house is relatively haunted, over the years, I've had friends independently inform me of some of the shit they'd seen. Most seemed benign. They just hung out in one place or another, but ultimately didn't do anything. Aside from the few glimpses of shadow cats I'd gotten, I certainly had never been bothered by any of the regular entities. Half the time, I don't even mention or really remember they're there, because of the lack of personal impact. Just kind of, okay, bro, you do you relationship. However, after a couple of years, there was also something less than chill hanging around. Some of the same friends got spooked, and it got to the point where I, someone who rarely remembers his dreams, was having multiple consecutive nightmares, and my roommates kept reporting weird noises hitting their window at night, which is inside of a courtyard and impossible to get through unless you go through a gate. So, I figure, okay... Maybe try to take it easy on the horror games. Carry on. More hard-to-sleep nights, I figure cut back on the coffee at a certain hour. Take some sleeping aids if possible. Carry on. And then I had an incident one night where something pressed down hard on my back while I was sleeping, and I woke up to something yelling, No! Okay, way more weird. 
but I'd also slept on my stomach, which I never do, and I've heard that can trigger weird dreams if you're prone to it. So I figure no more sleeping that way and make sure the door is shut at night in case the cats are using me as a trampoline. As someone who has a couple of very rambunctious cats who are very active at night, it can confirm. It was only when I started seeing weird shadow tumors at night and had more nightmares about that same weird shadow tumor slinking around my room and getting aggressive like before that I actually did anything truly witchy about it. Up until that point, it was all a logical explanation for everything. Like, yeah, my house was haunted, but it had never been the type of haunted that required me to look at anything but mundane explanations for things. Once none of that worked, then it was time for the banishing boot. Fun times. Haven't had a problem since. Okay, yikes. <laughs> Shadow tumor is a term I don't think I ever want to hear again. That sounds absolutely terrible. I'm glad the banishing boot worked for you. <laughs> that sounds like it could have gotten uh, very upsetting very quickly. Uh, thanks, Van. Thanks for sending in your story. Our next tale is from Sasha McGinley. This is actually how I got into my craft. Ooh, that's a good start. When I was nine, I went to Ireland. Oh, I miss Ireland. Since my family is from there. We ended up visiting the grave of my great-grandparents, and I was the first of their great-grandchildren to ever do so. It was such a powerful experience. I don't usually cry for hours, but I did there. Quick pause. Ireland is an amazing place, and one of the things on my list for when it's safe to travel again is to get back there. Moving on. When we got back home, I had some serious sleep issues. Never had a night where I didn't wake up, usually around 3 a.m. I always felt a presence. Sometimes I noticed some objects in my room had moved, but only slightly, and I could always still find them. At some point, I told my mom. I mentioned everything, to which she contacted her friend, who was experienced in the field of magic. The friend managed to connect everything, the visit, the sleepless nights, to say that one of my great-grandparents was likely there with me every night, waking me up either accidentally or just to make sure I was okay. Aww. I believe this to be my great-grandmother specifically, since the presence I had felt female in nature. One night I said out loud, I appreciate you caring, but you're not helping and I ask you to leave me alone. I never had another issue with it again. Really, this whole situation was how I got into magic at all, since it was how my family opened up about the rather secret hereditary magic my mom did when she opened up about all the spirit work. Ooh, nice. It also got me into spirit and ancestor work before I even knew the concepts had a name. Overall, I would consider this my main gateway into witchcraft, and I still find it an important life event. Ooh, a short story, but a good one. I am glad that that led to an important conversation. And it sounds like it's really brought your family closer together, which is always lovely. Thank you for sharing that, Sasha. That's a, that's a really nice story. Our next story is from Lindsay. Hello, my name is Lindsay. I'm fairly new to paganism and witchcraft in general, and I am so glad I came across your Tumblr and later your podcast. Thank you so much for being generous with your advice. 
you're very welcome. I love doing it, and I'm so glad folks are finding it helpful. It just warms the cockles of my black little heart. I don't know if my experience counts as a ghostly encounter, but I thought I would submit it anyway. It was in the odd hours of the morning one day when I was 14 or 15, so this would be 2009 or 2010. I was sleeping on the couch in the living room and felt this presence. I turned around to face the room, and I saw this dark, shadowy figure in the upper corner of the room diagonally across from me. It was kind of humanoid-shaped, almost opaque. As soon as I looked at it, it was like it focused on me. I could feel this weight, and I was terrified. I wrapped my blanket tighter around my shoulders and shut my eyes. At this point in my life, I had begun moving away from Catholicism and Christianity and was a self-proclaimed atheist because it is more acceptable to be an atheist than a pagan in my house, and I hadn't identified as pagan yet. All I could think of doing was taking all of my fear and desperation, balling it up and sending it out into the universe or the world or however you wish to call it, in a bid for someone, anyone, to help me. After I did that, I felt emotionally and physically drained. I opened my eyes and the shadow was still there, still focused on me, and it seemed almost gleeful, like it was happy that I was so afraid. Then I heard a noise coming from the dining room and this being entered the living room. It was very big and vaguely wolf-shaped. I say wolf and not canine because wolves generally walk with their heads low, almost in line with their backs, and dogs don't. It stood between me and the shadow and let out this deep growl, deep enough that I could feel it in my bones, and the shadow flinched. The wolf took one step toward that corner, and the shadow left. The wolf turned to me, and I, I pushed my gratitude to it, and it snorted almost like it was satisfied, and it left through the dining room again. I passed out. The next morning, I felt like I'd been hit by a truck. I was so drained and exhausted. Again, I don't know if this is along the lines of what you were thinking, but sending it to you felt right. I wish you all the best in your future endeavors, Lindsay. Wow, Lindsay, yeah, this is definitely an encounter. I can't speak to what all it was exactly, but that's certainly very unsettling. If I had to hazard a guess, the wolf could have been your fetch animal coming in to help you out when you felt threatened. I'd be very interested to hear if you'd seen the wolf again, or if wolves have personal meaning to you. And yes, feeling like you've been hit by a truck after such things is totally normal. There are entities that will come in and feed on your energy or your fear, and that leaves a person feeling drained. And so does the amount of energy that you have to put out to call in that kind of assistance. Hopefully that nasty thing hasn't visited you again. If you have any more problems, I'd suggest checking out the Witch Ways episode on banishing powder. A few pinches of that in the corners of my room helps me sleep easier when things are a little bit tumultuous in my house, usually around this time of year. Thanks for writing in, Lindsay. Our next story, actually set of stories, is from Maria Arndt. I saw your Tumblr post about ghost stories for your podcast and thought I'd chuck you a couple in case you liked them. 
Most of mine are pretty boring by virtue of lacking any mystery. I went to my boss's house, had a chat with the guy who died in her kid's room before they moved in, let him know he was freaking the kid out, offered to let him come over to my house if he needed to chat and work through his stuff. Nobody heard anything from him again. I think I shook him out of a rut and he was able to work himself out. Most of my stories run along these lines. What I do as a medium is really more like being a social worker for dead people, which is why, along with this work being part of my devotion to Persephone, I get paid in the afterlife. I don't accept payment for work with ghosts, only spells or fey work. I make jokes about wanting Bill Pullman's job in Casper. The ones that aren't boring are upsetting. The child tied up with electrical cords in a closet in the house my parents were looking at buying and so forth. But my mother is an excellent ghost storyteller. She doesn't see the dead like I do, but she's definitely had some paranormal experiences, and she learned the art of telling them to others from Dwayne Hutchinson, a notable Midwestern ghost story scholar. This man also first suggested to my mother that my childhood lying habits could be sublimated into writing, and thus I owe him pretty much the direction of my creative career. So here are some of my mom's ghost stories, shared with her explicit permission. The first one is about me, but I was four, and my personal memories of the event are pretty vague. The telling of it is mostly hers. The Man with One Arm in the Basement When I was four, we drove up to Iowa to visit my great-grandmother. She'd been living on her own since her second husband passed some five years before. At his dying request, she had taken down all photos of him from their home after he passed. His mother was Sue, and we think maybe Winnebago, and he still respected some of her ways. So while I knew that Grandpa Elmer had been my great-grandmother's husband, I didn't know what he looked like, and as a four-year-old, probably didn't think much about it. I was a weird kid, weren't we all? And I liked to hang out in the basement, where there were lots of weird knickknacks and board games and such. I was always able to entertain myself for hours, and there was nothing dangerous down there, so my family didn't think much about it, except that it kept me out of their hair while they were visiting. Then one time, I came upstairs and got myself two glasses of water. Maria, my grandmother scolded me, if you're that thirsty, come refill your glass when you finish the first. You don't need to get two glasses dirty. Oh, I said, this one's not for me. It's for the man with one arm in the basement. Now, this caused some uproar, as my great-grandmother wasn't getting up and down those stairs very much these days, and nobody in Mapleton locks their doors. Had some vagrant snuck into her home and started squatting down there? But that particular detail, the man with one arm, held them up short. But that particular detail, the man with one arm, brought them up short. You see... Grandpa Elmer had lost his arm in a combine accident, so they sat me down and asked me to describe this man. If nothing else, they were going to call the cops and needed a description. He's got black hair with sparkly bits in it, and he wears overalls with a silver hammer in the front pocket and a sock with two blue stripes over his stump. Well, I just described Grandpa Elmer in detail. What's he doing down there? My mom asked, more to the universe at large. He's teaching me to play checkers, I explained. I'll show you. So downstairs we go. A game had been laid out, halfway in progress. 
I do remember he wasn't there when we all went down. Sometimes he was, and sometimes he wasn't. But adults were like that, and it didn't worry me. A game of checkers was laid out on the floor. I quickly cleared it and challenged my grandpa, mom's dad, to a game. And I won, using a trick Grandpa Elmer was kind of known for. Then I went around the room and explained where all the knickknacks came from. This one for an anniversary, this one from a vacation. The man with one arm had told me stories about all of them. What did they think I was doing down here all this time? Grown-ups can be so boring. This story was told many times throughout my childhood and was a bit of a lifesaver later on. I had a bad habit of fibbing as a kid. I was good at it, and it gave me some control over my environment. But remembering this story helped my mom remember that when I complained about the creepy things staring at me at her friend's house, I might not be making it up. And maybe I shouldn't come along for those visits, and maybe her friend should talk to her pastor. Blue Moon Over Briar Cliff This is a nice, short, fun one. My mom was studying nursing at Briar Cliff College, and she and a friend were in the habit of studying on one of the stages when it wasn't being used for a production. They'd take turns playing the piano on breaks to keep each other company. My mom had a book of intermediate-level arrangements of popular songs from the last couple decades, so 60s to 80s stuff, maybe a few older pieces. I still have this exact book. One of the best arrangements in it is of Blue Moon, a lovely old crooner. She started to play it, and her friend asked if the book had the words in it. No, none of them do, which is a shame because it's such a pretty thing. I wish I knew it. Me too, her friend lamented. Ah, the world really did suck before the internet. As my mom played, she figured her friend's memory must have been triggered, because the words came softly drifting from behind her after a little while. She had no idea her friend was such a good singer, either. As soon as she was done, she turned around and said, I thought you didn't know the words. At the same time, her friend said the exact same thing. Turns out, neither of them were singing it. An investigation of the building they were studying in turned up no other people besides one elderly janitor. He listened to their story and told them it was the ghost of a student who had died tragically while studying music there at the college, and that many other people had heard her singing that very song. Come to Collect once she'd graduated from nursing school, my mom worked in a nursing home in Sioux City for some time on night shifts. It was a boring job, but a good place to get started, and usually quiet. The ward she worked on didn't have any ambulatory patients, so she would run checks throughout the night to make sure no one needed anything, but otherwise sat at the nurses but otherwise sat at the nurses station and waited. The station was centrally located so she could look down all four halls of the ward and see the doors of every room. One night, her fellow nurse was running checks, and my mom was reading a magazine. She glanced up and way at the end of the hallway saw a very tall figure, all in black. Not a good start. As she watched, it slowly lifted one arm, pointing ominously at a door near the end of the hall. Now, when you work nights, sometimes your brain... Ugh. Now, when you work nights, sometimes your brain plays tricks on you, but her co-worker was a short woman and their uniforms were white. Plus, she was pretty sure her co-worker was down a different hall. She glanced to look, and when she looked back, the tall figure was gone. 
Mom didn't hesitate. She picked up the phone and called security. Someone was in the ward who wasn't supposed to be there. That was the only explanation. Security came up pronto and did a full lockdown and sweep. They didn't find anybody extra in the rooms, but they did find something else. The room the figure had pointed to? Its occupant had just passed away. Mom swears to this day that it must have been the Grim Reaper. Hope you like the stories. I look forward to hearing the other stories that people send you. Thanks, Maria. I love a good anthology. I used to work in an assisted living home when I was in my 20s, and I can definitely say that there was some spooky stuff going on in that place. Footsteps at night, figures at the end of the hall, very specific, odd things that would happen right before a resident would pass. All standard fare. And I'm with you. I will take boring over upsetting in my ghost encounters any day of the week. Thanks for sending these in, Maria. Our next story is from Alex Meyer. Hi, Bree. I hope this finds you well. Yes, it does. Thank you. I hope you're well, too. My name is Alex, and my pronoun are she slash hers. Got it. I love your podcast, and I got really excited after seeing your Tumblr post asking for listener ghost stories. This is a bit of a long one, so bear with me. We love long stories here. Go for it. This happened to me around the end of October, beginning of November 2019. About two weeks before Samhain, my roommate told me she was getting some uneasy feelings being in our apartment alone. She had a woodblock print of the Mandarin character for happiness against the wall, and she said it kept getting knocked over, even after she put adhesive on the back of it. Her boyfriend also woke up early one morning to find the contents of his backpack taken out and rearranged, despite the fact that it had been entirely zipped up the night before. I didn't really put too much thought into it at the time, since I was very preoccupied with my fall classes, but I started experiencing activity myself on the night of Samhain. I was making a homemade Ouija board and planchette out of some printer paper, not the sturdiest model, but I was only using it for the night. I was planning on bringing it to one of my friend's apartments to do a session. After making the planchette, I sort of had one hand resting on it and thought to myself, huh, I wonder if something really is in the apartment. Slowly, the planchette began to move toward yes, and I got chills. I made the board say goodbye and went to go throw the paper scraps in our recycling bin. As I had my back turned in the kitchen, I felt the overwhelming presence of someone behind me. In my mind's eye, I saw a man in a suit with close-cropped hair behind me, almost like he was out of a picture from the 30s. I was nervous at that point, but I had to get to my friends, so I left with the board in a hurry and merely said out loud that he needed to be gone by the next morning. We had the following Monday off for school, so my roommate left for home during the weekend, leaving her cat with me. I noticed that her cat didn't want to go into the living room by herself all of a sudden, and she would sit in my doorway for hours. Sometimes when I would watch her, her eyes would turn like she was following something moving around. Again, I decided not to think too much of it and went on about my business. This turned out to be a rather unwise decision on my part. Later that evening, I decided I would take a quick Epsom salt bath since my shoulders were hurting. I settled in and was relaxing, and everything seemed fine until I got out of the tub. 
As I was drying off, I noticed six thin scratch marks on my upper arm that hadn't been there when I got in. I was so shocked that I took a picture of it because I thought no one would believe me. I'll just note right here that Alex did send me pictures of the scratch marks. They look kind of like six cat scratches, but all roughly parallel to each other. They're pretty gnarly. I decided at that point that I needed to take some action to get this man out, so I went about setting up my tools. I had been working on refining a banishing and purification ritual for the last couple of months, and had been kind of lazy about polishing it. This was the kind of kick in the butt I needed to get going. I won't go super into detail with what I did, but I used a combination of sound and smoke cleansing, coupled with laying down some salt barriers to physically remove him from the apartment. Nice. Since he was still trying to hang around the outside of the property, I went into the astral plane to psychically banish him as well. The change in energy was almost immediately apparent, and we haven't had any strange occurrences since. Thanks for reading this, and I can't wait to hear what else you cover in your podcast. Yeah, don't ever worry about polishing a ritual if you have an immediate need. Just go for it. Sometimes you just need to do it and get those protections in place. You can always go back and recast it or patch it up later, but if a spirit is overstaying their welcome or getting aggressive, it's time to show them that door in no uncertain terms. Sounds like you were very thorough. I'm, I'm very impressed by the combination of smoke, salt, and sound. I use something very similar in my deep, clean home cleansing spells, too, and set new barriers in place as I go. Doing the extra work on the astral level is a bold step, and I'm really glad it worked for you. Thanks so much for sharing, Alex, and good luck! Our next story is from Margaret Stringer and... This one is a doozy. I'm going to try very hard to get through it without giggling, but, well, you'll see. So this may only be tangentially relevant, but here we go. This is maybe a little bit of a rant, but I think you'll appreciate where I'm coming from. It has to do with a story that was sent in to another podcast taken completely out of context and was mocked by the host and pissed me off. I feel you. I went to a haunted AF women's college. We predictably had a small group or a club of pagan and non-Abrahamic interfaith students, but even outside the circle, ghost stories and superstitions were rampant. It just kind of becomes part of life when you live somewhere like that. Anyway, during a town hall meeting one time, someone went up on the open mic and requested a ban on Ouija and spirit boards on campus. This is more or less where the other podcast started laughing, because whoever sent in the story didn't bother to say that the reasoning was, one, it was considered disrespectful to the founders of the school and the community in which it was based, a very specific Christian denomination which rejects the idea of human spirits lingering on Earth, we still have ties to the local church, and the historic heritage is something that the school tries its best to honor. There is a large historic cemetery belonging to the church next to the school that was a popular seance location. And, two, mind you, this is in all caps. 
Us witches are sick and tired of getting woken up at fuck all in the morning by Stacy and Tiffany screaming in the hallway and pounding on our doors, begging us to come sage their room because they think they summoned Pazuzu. <clears throat> I told myself I wouldn't laugh, but that's brilliant. <clears throat> it was the same damn thing every year and always around the same times. Start of terms when all the new students arrived and started hearing about everything, October because Halloween, and just after winter break because there's nothing else to do for basically the entire month of January. And did they ever go to the campus ministry office? Did they ever ask the actual ordained Christian chaplain to come and fix their shit? Of course not. It was always the witchy students, at the most annoying times possible, with hysterical shrieking demanding we do something now. I think I speak for all of us when I say I cannot stand it when people laugh off requests and advice from folks in the witchy community just because they assume it is wacky hocus-pocus superstition. We had the same trouble any time we warned folks not to go into the 300-year-old cemetery at night. Ooh, because of the ghosts, lol. No chuckle fuck, because the ground is uneven as shit, and if you go out there in the dark, you will almost certainly trip and smash your brains out on a headstone. This is so accurate. Anyway, as I said, the above rant is maybe only tangentially related to what you're looking for, so here's some too-long-didn't-read versions of our most beloved campus ghost stories. The portrait of a famous benefactress must be greeted upon entering or exiting the dorm lobby in which it hangs, or else she will mess up your day. There is a mysterious white lady who paces between two footbridges in the outdoor amphitheater. Supposedly, if you can get her to talk to you, she'll grant you some kind of wish. Piano music can often be heard in the practice rooms of the fine arts building, only for you to walk through and find nobody there. The third floor of the main library has a forever librarian who has had a stick up his ass since the turn of the century. Now, naturally, I was intrigued by all of these stories, so I asked Margaret for some more details, and being the fabulous person she is, she readily obliged me. So, there is one other thing about the library that's probably worth noting. I was a student library assistant all four years I attended the college, and did a good enough job that they actually asked me to stay on after graduation to cover the summer semester. Attendance for summer was always pretty low, so they really just needed someone there to sit at the desk and lock up at night. So part of my lockup routine was to close the front doors, stopping anyone new from getting in, then doing a sweep of the whole building to make sure no one was lingering before I left. It's an old building, so there was no intercom system or anything like that. No CCTV either. Sometimes it got easy for folks to lose track of time and get sucked into their work. Now, the layout of this building is kinda weird. Mostly because the whole damn thing was moved from one end of the town square to the other, rolled downhill on logs. Then afterwards, they decided to dig a basement under it. Since the basement wasn't originally a thing, you kinda have to go around your ass to get to your elbow, as my dad would say, in order to get to it. There's not really much down there besides archival copies of different periodicals and some old census records, stuff people really only used once in a great while. But the school was good enough to keep them on hand. 
Since that area sees hardly any traffic, the lights down there are motion-activated. If no one is down there, they stay off to save power. During my sweep through at the end of the day, I almost always took the stairs because the elevator was old and slow. Every time I was in the stairwell, the very bottom door that led to the basement would start slamming open and shut on its own. And, of course, as if that wasn't creepy enough, I still had to go down there and check for students. What I'd usually do is to take the elevator down and just let the doors open. If the lights were out, I'd close the doors and go back up to the main floor. So I go down one day, doors open, lights are out. I'm in the middle of texting someone so I don't hit the close door button right away, and I figure I'll just let them close on their own. But they don't. Then the light at the far end of the basement turns on. Then the next one. And the next one. Literally all the lights turning on slowly, getting closer to the elevator and the whole corridor, which I can see, is completely empty. It was a scene out of a horror movie. I practically shit myself, pounding the button until finally the doors close and I get back up to ground level, grabbed my stuff, and left. We're supposed to call campus safety and have them lock up, and we're not supposed to leave the building until they arrive, but fuck that. I didn't call until I was out the door and on the opposite side of the street. Told the officer who answered the call what happened and got a wholly sympathetic, oh fuck that, in response. Good to know you're on the same page. On a lighter note, that library also gave me the most hilarious ghost encounter from that campus. It had to do with the forever librarian on the third floor. My friends and I call him The Suit, due to his ridiculously neat starched and pressed gray ensemble. Like, Tim Gunn would be stunned by this guy. He's the sort to use a ruler as a straight edge to trim his facial hair. We joke that he can be summoned by taking a book off the shelf and then putting it back without looking. But actually, though. Again, it's the end of the day, and I'm doing a sweep through the building. I'm walking through the stacks, more or less yelling, Library closing! Please pack up your things! And I'm most definitely being too loud for his liking, but hey, it's part of the job, and he's kind of an asshole, so I don't care. I've already shut the lights off, but it's mid-July, and we're on the third floor, so even at 6pm, there is plenty of natural light in the place. As I'm in the home stretch, I call out, Is there anyone in here? And out of the corner of my eye, I see this silhouette slide into view between two of the shelves. I pause a moment. Is there anyone alive in here? Silhouette slides back out of view. I honestly just about lost my shit. It's hard to give the full effect without visuals, but like, it's... It's not even like he just stepped out. He literally just sort of glided in and then back out like he was on a damn skateboard or something. Anyway, that's most of the notable stuff. A lot of things happened in my four years there, but aside from the above and one notable time when my bio teacher's podium pushed itself three feet to the left and brought his lecture to a screeching halt as we all stared to see if it would move again, it was fairly small stuff. Footsteps, objects in places I know I didn't leave them, hearing someone talking in a room only to find no one was there, and so forth. You'd get a lot of those subtle sounds that people make without meaning to, 
clothes rustling, paper crinkling or shuffling, floorboard creaking, that sort of thing. Also forgot to add, I definitely got a really nice silver and white quartz pendulum for free because a girl was convinced she summoned a demon with it and didn't want it anymore. Not at all how that works, but fuck it, free pendulum. Thank you for enduring my nonsense. I am a salty witch. Margaret, your salt is delightful. <laughs> if there is one thing we love on this podcast, it is a salty witch. Thank you so much for sending those stories in and for entertaining my request for more details. This, I, I had to read this three times because I just kept laughing. Uh, I, I love college ghost stories, so this was, this was just too much fun. Our next story is from Sophie Crandall. Listeners, please be warned, this story contains mentions of suicide. If this is something you'd rather not hear, please feel free to skip to the next story. Sup, Brie. Sup, Sophie. I went to college at the University of Georgia, the oldest public university in the nation. We have several ghosts on campus, though I've met none of them, so none of my stories are particularly thrilling. Here are two to pick and choose from, as may suit you. I pick both. Here's a ghost story in which there is no ghost. There is an all-women's dormitory called Sewell. There is no dorm, there is only Sewell. Which was constructed when they first started letting women study at UGA. There used to be a basement, and the basement had a pool. Allegedly, someone drowned down there, so they filled it up with concrete and walled off the basement. They say the building is still haunted. I lived in Seoul for a year and never encountered the ghost, but I can recall one incident where a bunch of girls ran screaming from the study room into the hall one midnight. The study room door slammed all on its own, they said. They packed their things and went off to bed. It would be more interesting to say I investigated that night, but in reality I was tired and pissed and checked it out the next morning. The study room consisted of two rooms, one within the other. The inner room was generally reserved for silent study, and the outer room was for quiet study. The issue with the inner room was that the door sucked. It was weighted to close on its own, but it would just swing mostly shut and not close all the way. It would remain barely ajar until the air conditioning kicked on, at which point the airflow was enough to nudge it shut. So it would shut, and it was loud, because it was a heavy wooden door. I was able to reduce these results... I was able to reproduce these results several times. That's all it was. A poorly installed door and the air conditioner. I was pretty annoyed about it. No further weirdness during my time there. There's also another well-known ghost at another building I would frequent. The building is called Joe Brown. Today, it houses the German and Slavic languages departments, but originally it was a dormitory. Trying to navigate the Joe Brown makes it very clear that it was never meant to be an academic building. It's weirdly labyrinthine, and the classrooms are oddly arranged. I think it may have been multiple structures at one point, because there are random stairs in some of the hallways. The most notable oddity of the building is the stairway near the main entrance. It has an upward flight that ends in a wall. We call it the Stairs to Nowhere. Years ago, in 1971, so the story goes, when Joe Brown was still a dormitory, Thanksgiving break rolled around and all the boys living in the dorm went home for the holidays. All except one. 
one tragic soul remained behind and hung himself in his dorm room, where he was not found until his peers returned to school. The stench led them to his body. After that, the janitors could never quite remove the stains or eradicate the smell. So after students complained, they bricked off the whole area, and then they slapped a picture of a hallway over it. Kinda creepy. You can see it right through the window if you're ever on campus. I'm sure someone can point it out to you. Anyhow, apparently they've done paranormal investigations there and found... stuff. But I don't have much trust in paranormal investigators. I never encountered anything stranger than a rat there. At any rate, I hope the poor kid isn't still haunting the place. He clearly wanted out. Or maybe he just didn't want to go home, in which case I guess he got what he wanted. Thanks for the neat content you produce and the kindness with which you do it. Best, Sophie. This is less scary than just kind of sad. I'm with you, Sophie. I hope that poor kid has moved on and found peace. And that whatever issues were plaguing him in his life uh, didn't follow him into the afterlife. And if he's still there, I hope he's not getting bothered by paranormal investigators because that just seems kind of rude. I like that you also included a story of a debunked haunting in here. It's really important to rationalize and debunk where we can with paranormal encounters, like you did. Not that we should be super skeptical of everything, but just that it's good to keep a level head and not freak out over things that can be easily explained by things like airflow or plumbing or electrical problems. That way, when something real does come our way, we're much better equipped to recognize and subsequently deal with it. Also, running screaming from a study room is kind of obnoxious and not a way to win points with your dorm mates. Thanks for sharing, Sophie. Our next story comes from the illustrious Genjamin from the Nerd and Tie Network. Hey, it's a colleague. Hey, this is Genjamin from the Nerd and Tie Discord with some ghost stories. Mine aren't super spooky, but yeah, I've had interactions with ghosts. All three of them are at a summer camp I used to attend and work at. The first one is the ghost of a special lady who has a cabin named after her. We hold scout ceremonies in the cabin, and being in there would always make you feel safe and calm. I would often hear footsteps when I was alone in the cabin, but not much more than that. She always seemed to just be a nice, benevolent presence. The second ghost used to work with me in the kitchen. He was aptly called the Kitchen Ghost, because he would hang out there. I think that he used to work in that kitchen because I would find burners turned on, things moved, and hear footsteps pretty often when I was working there alone. I remember that sometimes a freezer door or the walk-in cooler wouldn't shut all the way, and we'd blame it on him. It was mostly me going around turning things off and shutting doors after he'd gone around so that accidents didn't happen. I think he's just trying to keep on cooking. He's not malevolent either. The third one spooked the crap out of me. From the kitchen, you have to go downstairs to the basement to go to the bathroom. In that basement is a line of windows looking out into the forest. I remember it was a beautiful sunny day when I went down to use the bathroom and was coming back out when I saw a girl standing at this row of windows looking out. She had two long brown braids and was wearing a red and white striped t-shirt, and I could see through her. She didn't seem to notice me at all, but I booked it upstairs and didn't go back down until other people were with me. 
I don't think she was malevolent, but she startled me real bad. So that's it. I've only encountered those three, even though the third could have just been my imagination. Others have felt and heard the first two, so I don't feel as crazy with those. Good luck on the episode. Aw, thanks, Genjamin. I love a good camp story, too, especially when they're kind of classically simple like this. Not every ghost story needs to be something harrowing or interactive to be spooky, and these are some really good examples. Lots and lots of ghost encounters are just, hey, I saw a ghost, and that's it. There's no big build-up, there's no crescendo, there's no, you know, climax where things get really, really scary and then stop. It's just, meh, this happened. So thank you for sharing these with us. Our next story comes from Phoenix Black, who's a regular in the Hex Positive Discord chat. Despite being an empath and psionically gifted, I've had limited encounters with ghosts. I have an innate ability to push out most energies and spirits from any space I'm occupying for extended periods, unless they're particularly intense, like the specific ghostly encounter I had when I was 18. I was visiting some friends and my then-boyfriend in the Kootenay region of the Canadian Rockies, staying at a friend's house. Said friend went to visit his mother, leaving me alone for the night with a stack of Sailor Moon video cassettes. Typically, this would be an ideal situation, but that house had always left me with a feeling of unease, and that feeling increased as soon as there were no other living people at the forefront of my empathic field. I was consistently getting the feeling that there was someone else in the house, even though I checked all the rooms and made sure the doors were locked. As the night went on and I started to drift off, I kept getting flashes of a person running past the couch. Eventually, I passed out and dreamt about a man on fire, walking around the house and screaming, with charred skin and no discernible features. When I woke up in a panic, I immediately called my then-boyfriend, and he came over to help set up some warding and charged a large chunk of amethyst to keep me safe while I slept. The next day, I was talking to a friend about fairy circles, and she brought up having a weird experience at the house I was staying at. When I asked what kind of weird experience, she described seeing the ghost of a badly burned man on numerous occasions. I made sure I was never alone in that house from that point on. No one knew the history of the house or the neighborhood, and we never found anything that offered an explanation of who or what this ghost was, just that it had appeared to two other people, and specifically at that house. I honestly hadn't thought of that incident in years, and recalling it now as I sit alone in the house in the middle of the night, it feels spookier somehow. There were never any answers or resolution, and as far as I know, that ghost is still there, somewhere in the Canadian Rocky Mountains unknown, and burning. Cheers, Phoenix Black. Houses are always spooky in the middle of the night, and burnt ghosts do not help. I feel bad for that guy. That is no way to spend your afterlife. I really hope that that's just an echo or residual haunting, because otherwise, ugh. Uh, cheers to you too, Phoenix, and thanks for the story, even though I'm pretty sure it's going to keep at least one person up tonight. Our next story is from Eddie, a.k.a. Hurricane Ginger. Hey there! I saw that you were looking for ghost stories, and I've got one for you. This one happened to me back when I was 16 or 17, but long before I started practicing as a witch. I tell this story sort of as a cautionary tale to not casually mess with anything weird. 
always good advice. I was on vacation in Florida where a friend who did practice witchcraft and I went on a ghost tour. I always enter these tours with a skeptical mind, but also open to any experience I may have. The first strange instance was when my friend was trying to take a picture of a Civil War uniform. The camera died. It was a brand new camera, and we had just charged it before going on the tour, so we didn't understand what was wrong with it. We just wrote it off as a broken camera and didn't think anything else of it. Maybe the charger wasn't plugged into the outlet. Who knows? The next stop on the tour, I'll never forget. It was an old courthouse, and I came across the front bench, which had countless scuff marks etched deep into the wood. The tour guide told me this is where the prosecuted would sit, and the scuff marks came from when their hands were cuffed behind their backs. I then sat on the prosecution bench for the rest of the viewing of the courtroom, not thinking anything of it and waiting for the tour to end. Later, however, after we returned to our condo, I was undressing to take a shower and noticed something on my leg. I had taken out my contacts at this point, so I put on my glasses and saw three very large dark red scratches on my calf. My friend freaked out and she immediately went to go get supplies to either banish or cleanse. I don't remember which, perhaps both. The next morning, the scratches were gone. I would have thought I'd dreamed it were it not for the pictures we'd taken. We took it as kind of a warning, or even a punishment for me sitting on the bench in the courthouse. I wish I still had the pictures, but it was long before I knew how to transfer media to a new phone. I was a sheltered kid. Hope you enjoyed this little story of my experience with ghosts and spirits. I am way more cautious and respectful now. Thanks, Eddie, a.k.a. Hurricane Ginger. Yeah, basic rule. <laughs> Don't sit on things associated with past turmoil and bloodshed. I mean, we've all made mistakes, so live and learn, but ouch. Sounds like you got a pretty firm warning for that one, and hopefully it hasn't happened again. Thanks for sharing, Eddie, and thank you for all the love on Tumblr. And a real quick note, those of you who follow me on Tumblr and my social media and regularly like or reblog or comment on my posts, I do notice. I always grin just a little when I see a familiar name pop up. I may not always reply, but please know that I see you and I appreciate you. You guys are awesome. Our next story is from Mads. Hi, Bree. I'm a huge fan of your work. Your podcast is such a good vibe and something I look forward to every month. Aw, good on you, Mads. Thank you so much for tuning in. My ghost story is from when I grew up in Pennsylvania. Shout out to all the PA witches! I love hearing from my home state. We moved into this house when I was around seven and lived there for 13 years. It was a big house built in the 20s or 30s, if I remember correctly, and had two bedrooms upstairs, one downstairs, an enormous basement, and too many doors. My sister, who is close in age to me, slept with me in one of the upstairs bedrooms throughout most of my feral witch child upbringing. That's a whole other thing, which I would love to hear sometime. And at least once a week or so, something weird would happen. That bedroom had five doors. One was a water heater, three were closets, and the last was the obvious entry door. It also had like two different crawl spaces. The door in the top right corner was difficult to open during the day. 
but I would wake up to find it opening by itself frequently, along with the others at different times. Every night at the same time, I would hear a noise that was like something gently knocking on the side of the water heater behind its door. It never made that noise at other times, and always followed a few minutes later by the sound of the ceiling fan being jostled to the point that it made noise. Again, never did this at other times, even during an earthquake. At least once a week, I would feel something very gently sit on the edge of the bed. It never scared me for some reason, it was just a gentle and obvious depression on the edge. Sometimes this would sometimes this was followed by the feeling of something hovering right over me, like something had leaned over to look at my face, but I could never see anything if I was brave enough to open my eyes. The dreams I had in that house were weird. The basement had this huge weird back room with a second water heater in it and nothing else. The outside of the door had somewhere a padlock could be put, but there wasn't one when we moved in. I would have dreams regularly where I was pulled from my bed and dragged by the hand to that basement by something I couldn't see. In the dream, the basement was dark, but there was a red light in the little room. I always woke up when the door was opened, sometimes yelling. All of the weird stuff stopped when I moved to the downstairs bedroom when I was older, and never noticed anything unless I had to sleep upstairs for some reason. Then I noticed all the same things again. I never talked to my sister about all this. I was an anxious kid with an active imagination and was scared of either scaring my sister or having her laugh at me. We moved to Atlanta a few years ago, and on a whim, I asked her if she ever noticed anything weird, to which she said, oh yeah, and described the exact same things I had experienced, down to the dreams about the basement. The only difference was she actually saw a face when she sensed something leaning over her, and she said it looked furious. We still laugh about that, how we grew up in a haunted house, but we're both too stubborn to acknowledge it. Anyway, thanks for your amazing podcast and books. Take care of yourself and tell your cats I said hi. Mads. Okay, first of all, fist bumps for spending formative years in a haunted house in Pennsylvania. We have that firmly in common. <laughs> super, super creepy that you and your sister experienced such similar dreams. That that's That's some nightmare fuel. At least you never woke up and found yourself actually in the basement, right? That would have been so much worse. I'm really glad you're enjoying my work, Mads, and Havoc and Penny send you lots and lots of sleepy blinks from their kitty cat producer chairs on the windowsill. Our final story is from Martin Tomage, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, and just for a change of pace, this one takes us all the way to Japan. To preface, me and my boyfriend are both witches. Word! We had just moved to Tokyo at the end of November, so the weather had started to cool. The apartment we ended up choosing had a great open energy and was down the street from a medium-sized Shinto shrine. South of our building is a small house. The building next door on the west side is another slightly larger apartment building, and south of that is an even larger abandoned apartment building. Anyways, me and my boyfriend have different schedules, so we both independently noticed a spirit in our home. He saw it first as a glowing golden orb. Later, I saw it as a small child. Neither of us said anything about it because the ghost was just vibing, so we didn't mind it being there. The strange thing was the spirit was growing. 
Over about a month, it was getting larger and transforming. This is something we only talked about really after it became aggressive toward us, which neither of us had encountered before. So now we were thinking that it wasn't a ghost, but something else. And Japan is riddled with all types of supernatural creatures. Things were still fine, but as it got larger, about five feet tall, it started interfering with our sleep. Since it wasn't winter, any time it would enter our room, the heater would turn off. The entity would come from the abandoned apartment, go to the apartment west of ours, and then finally enter our apartment. We could tell the neighboring apartment never slept well. Anyone who's lived in there always has their lights on and doesn't stay there long. But instead of banishing it or doing anything we felt was aggressive since it was here before us, we just put up a simple barrier between our room and the next room in attempts to keep the peace while establishing some boundaries. Which, it turned out, was the worst idea. It being cut off from our room pissed it off big time. It didn't help that our barrier was more like a bug zapper than a wall. It started coming every night. And before it would come, you'd always hear the same pattern of dripping noise. It went like, tick, 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 tick. It was like a warning call. It would be coming within the hour. Not an unusual thing for Japanese spirits to have or do. So now it was getting larger and angrier and more powerful every night. It would pace angrily in the kitchen and periodically attack our ward. It's a small Japanese apartment, so it's basically a kitchen-slash-dining room and a living-slash-bedroom. We had to double down on the barrier because it was breaking through it. We were becoming restless and losing sleep. On top of that, it was freezing, since every time it came, the heater would shut off, though throwing some salt at the heater usually did the trick. Soon, it had come earlier and earlier. At first, it came around 3 a.m., then gradually moved to coming around 10 to 11 p.m. when we were still up and about. This was over a period of two or three months. As I mentioned, it was growing. Towards the end, it was more than six feet tall and was so different from when we first saw it. It would take stronger barriers to keep it out of our room, too. The breaking point for us to do something more active about it was when it infiltrated our dreams. We're both lucid dreamers, and my boyfriend even more so. He uses dream work a lot in his craft. So the fact that the spirit literally ripped its way into our dreams was unnerving. It was clawing and coming through the faces of the people in our dreams. We both woke up at the exact same time with it staring intently at us from the other room. We turned on the light, and just to be sure we weren't imagining anything, we decided to quietly draw what it looks like. Before that, we never really talked about how it looks with each other. So after we finished drawing, we showed our pictures to each other, and they were identical. The most distinguishing features were its tall form, hunched back, the left eye scarred shut, and the other just red light. Specifically, how lights look when you squint when it's raining, that vertical stripe thing they do. So we consulted a friend who could help us contact a Buddhist priest, and the first thing he said was not to put up any barriers because it'll make it angry. Japanese spirits can be very territorial. Many of them have laid claim to areas and are not fond of being challenged. Whoops! He said the best thing to do is to offer it something to coexist peacefully. But since we had already pissed it off, we had to go with his second suggestion. 
hiding. We essentially created a spell wall around our apartment room. We illusioned our apartment to look like plants, so the entity couldn't find our apartment anymore. We've been living quite peacefully since then, about five years ago, and of course we still maintain the illusion ward. We're both still unsure what category of supernatural creature it is, but we've come across quite a few interesting ones while living here. Most of them don't care about people, though. They seem to be pretty busy doing other things. Though we've had several other types of curious, friendly, or sometimes aggressive spirits come and go, too. The last ones aren't allowed in. Okay, that is terrifying. I'm just glad nothing really horrible happened to either of you, because it sounds like that was escalating quickly. Japanese ghosts don't mess around. And your story highlights a very important concept. It is important when you're dealing with ghosts somewhere other than you're used to, that you have to observe the customs and traditions that exist in that place, because those ghosts are going to play by an entirely different set of rules than you're used to. Well, that does it for our first ever Listener Ghost Stories episode. I had so much fun with this, and I am probably going to make it a yearly Halloween tradition because this was just great. So if you didn't get a story in this year and you've got one you'd like to share on the podcast, just keep your ear to the ground for next year's announcement. I hope you all have a lovely Samhain or Halloween or Dia de los Muertos or whatever Remembrance of the Dead you happen to be celebrating. And I hope you've enjoyed this wild romp through the month of October with all the extra content and spooky goodness pertaining thereto. I'm going to give myself a break for November, so I'll be releasing one of the Patreon bonus episodes on November 1st, then some shorter extras, and the show will be back with a fresh new episode on December 1st for the winter holiday season. Until then, I'm Brina Garen, reminding you to stay safe, wear your mask, vote blue down the ballot, and don't go reading aloud from ancient tomes bound in human skin. Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Check out everything they have to offer, including our sibling podcast, BS Free Witchcraft, over at nerdandtie.com. Intro and outro music by Kevin McLeod. For all the latest updates, follow at hex underscore podcast on Twitter. You can also follow me at at Brina Garen on Twitter and Instagram. For more information on my books, you can check out my WordPress and my Amazon author page. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Stay safe, wash your hands, and remember, always practice safe hex.